0: In today's episode of Jillian on Love, I have a really great and cool conversation with Jillian Tuckman, another Jillian. And Jillian is a somatic and trauma-informed functional nutritionist who helps people heal from chronic illness, all types of chronic illness, with the understanding that so much of the suffering that we experience with certain chronic illnesses has to do with how we think about it. Basically, our nervous system, our thoughts about it, our shame about it. And our conversation today is focused around what to do and how to date if you have a chronic illness and or STD. And this is a big conversation that's not talked about, in my opinion, enough. According to Jillian, and you'll hear this in the episode, which was just staggering to hear, 145 million people are living with some sort of chronic condition. You know, the reality is, is that we all struggle with something. But the amount of messages that I have received over the years from people feeling so badly about themselves because they think because they have an autoimmune disease or digestive issues or that they're dealing with anxiety and depression that somehow no one's going to want them. And nothing could be further from the truth because the reality is we are all suffering from something. We all come to the table with baggage. Not to mention the really unfair and ridiculous stigma that's attached to certain STDs. So this is what we talk about. And what you'll find is that Jillian not only is incredibly knowledgeable, but her delivery of the knowledge is so articulate and so hearable. So I'm really excited to have her on the show. And if you or anyone else is struggling with this, I think you're gonna get a lot out of it. I think you're gonna feel very seen. Well, at least that's my hope. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach people how to completely transform their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, their breaths, and their minds. I have coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. Hi, Jillian. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I just love saying your name, Jillian with a J. Jillian with a J, last name T. I know, so we're both JTs. And every time I call you and I'm like, hey, Jillian, you're like, hey, Jillian. No, and
1: I'm like, your name (laughs) pops up. I'm like, am I calling myself? I know, it's so funny.
0: I'm really so excited to have you here because we're going to be talking about two things. One, dating with STDs. And also dating and being in a relationship if you're someone with any sort of chronic illness, whether that's autoimmune related, whether that's a mental illness. And I'm just so thrilled to be discussing this because these are the two things that people message me about so much and they have so much shame around it. And no one talks about it enough, you know, because it's put in this little folder That's called taboo. And yet it's the thing that we need to be talking about the most. And being that you work with so many people, I mean, people come to you with chronic illness, with chronic ailments, and with your expertise in the nervous system and just with helping people relate to what they have to deal with physically and mentally on a different level. And to heal is just really profound. Your work is profound and what you do is profound. So I am really excited to talk about this because I think that there's going to be just so many people who need to hear this. So let's talk a little bit later about STDs. And let's first talk about a scenario where someone, maybe they have a thyroid condition or maybe they have celiac disease where they can't eat gluten, or maybe they suffer with anxiety and depression. I mean, I think we could talk about each one of these. And they're, let's say they're single and they're dating. And they literally feel like no one's going to love them, or no one's going to choose them, or they're going to be a burden if they have this. And so therefore, they're either not telling the truth, they're hiding it. Or It's like they almost making it into a bigger deal than it needs to be and then running into problems that way. But I just want to hear your perspective on that.
1: Sure. Um, Well, first of all, I think that you really hit a nail on the head. This is such a huge issue and people aren't talking about it. I think I last read that estimates are about 145 million Americans live with at least one chronic illness. And if you're thinking that a huge chunk of the total population of this country are children, That's a lot of people. So my guess is whether you're aware of it or not, you are the person dating with chronic illness or you are dating someone with chronic illness, whether you're aware of it or not. So let's just normalize the fact that there are so many people who are dealing with something. And a lot of chronic illness you can't see, which makes it sometimes a lot more painful, right? It's thinking about the person who might have MS who's not given a seat on the subway because she's not in a wheelchair or they don't look, quote unquote, that they need it, right? So there's an enormous amount of awareness that we just need to bring that health is a privilege. That's one thing that I think in this society that we're living in right now that we're recognizing privilege across all areas of life. We really haven't taken time to recognize that health in itself is an enormous privilege. So let's check our health privilege when it comes to that, number one. Number two, you also hit the nail on the head by naming shame, Shame is one of the most, if not the most, destructive emotion that we live with, which in itself is actually health-destroying. I think Brene Brown, she defined it as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Thinking about what that means, that definition, there is something wrong with me if I happen to struggle with something that's completely out of my control. That is so heart crushing to me. And you're right. There are a lot of people that I've worked with who have dealt with that. And what I say to them is, first and foremost, we need to learn how to own our story. One of the things that I love so much about the work that you do is you make such a big, you put such a big emphasis, as you should, on after a breakup, owning the story of the breakup, reclaim your part in it, reclaim what happened, rewrite the story. Because if you walk away from something with the story that you are broken, you are not lovable. Yes, that will carry into everything forward. And it's so true with our own bodies. If my digestion is off, if my thyroid is broken, if I struggle with anxiety, that does not make me broken or unlovable at all. And so first and foremost, internally, we need to actually destigmatize our own shame and really get to know our own shame. And one of the things that I have people that I work with do is write a list of all the things that you love about yourself, write a list of all the things that you don't love about yourself, Where does that chronic illness overlap? And what can we also take from our chronic illness that actually is a superpower, right? You know, you and I have spoken (laughs) about the person who has debilitating digestive issues or anxiety. Guess what? A lot of those people are usually much more compassionate and they're much more empathetic. And the antidote (laughs) to shame is empathy. How can I actually step into someone's emotional experience to really viscerally feel what it might feel like to experience the world like that.
0: I wanted to just interrupt you for a second. The antidote to shame is empathy. Can you expand on that just sure, a Sure, and I bit? just want
1: to be clear. That's actually not my theory. That's also the work of Brene Brown as well. So I just want to make sure that I'm not co-opting her work. <laughs> but really about the fact that if shame, which is so heavy and feeling that we are so unworthy because something is wrong with us, the ability to empathize and to say, hey, I feel you, I see you, steps us out of our own unworthiness
0: and into a witness of someone else's emotions. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit because you just, you said a really important mouthful. I do want to get into, I think it's an interesting conversation and worth exploring how people how they relate to their bodies can actually exacerbate whatever it is that they are dealing with versus the acceptance and maybe having it go away. That's a little tangent that I definitely want to talk about. Sure. Let's bring this into first a dating scenario. What would you, how would you coach someone who let's say has some sort of digestive issues. I also think the word illness, I also struggle with that word illness because I think even labeling it certain things as an illness is in some ways, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, somewhat self-limiting. You're dealing with something that might be psychosomatic, that might be related to your hormonal system, that might be related to trauma, that might be related to a million different, you might have a parent. I mean, there might be a million different reasons. But this idea of going into the dating world with this mentality of, I'm broken, right? I have an illness, so therefore I'm broken. Because I think just with the very word illness, it indicates, well, something is wrong. I'm not healthy. So let's just take that person who has some, you know, major digestive issues. Maybe this person cannot eat at certain restaurants, can't eat certain foods. It's like, Definitely, there's a little bit of, you know, they're going on a first date. I'm very big on suggesting to people that they are really upfront about their stuff right off the bat and just own it. Rather than, oh, yeah, I have digestive issues, but they really want to go to this pizza spot. And, well, I love pizza, so I guess we can go to pizza. But I know that if I eat pizza, I'm going to be like sitting on the toilet all night. You know, like, so let's take a scenario like that. How would you then speak to someone who's totally stressed out, feeling like no one's going to love them or choose them, or they're wanting to conceal this even on a first date? What would you say to them?
1: Well, I think you, again, totally hit it, right? Abandoning our own selves, right? Getting literally physically sick because we want to people please and placate the person we're trying to impress. and to love and ask for acceptance is completely Uh, self-defeating and so it's the same thing as being out on a date with a man or a woman who says I don't want children and if one of those people says oh god I really want children but you know what I really like this person so I'm going to actually you know I'm going to table that for six seven three years five years right I'm not going to actually reveal what I really want because him abandoning me her abandoning me is so much more painful in this moment than me abandoning myself. So it's actually, I love that dating and chronic illness, there's such a huge overlap because abandonment things come up as well. If I reveal this about myself, he or she won't love me anymore. Number one, if that's true, goodbye. <laughs> like, thank you. Projection is protection, not Peace for me. Out. Yeah. Right? Yes. In the situation and yes. the example that you gave, first and foremost, It really has to do with, again, owning my story. Hey, if it's like, oh God, I have celiac and the guy said or the girl suggested pizza, I have two options. I can grin and bear it and say, yeah, maybe there's like salad there or something like that, which if someone's suggesting a pizza place, they really want multiple people participating and usually eating pizza, right?
0: So but <laughs> it's actually very it's true. A, right? It's really so, you cannot be the person who goes to like a pizza party so a lot and orders of practitioners a salad. Who say, Oh yeah, but you can
1: eat a, you can eat salad or you can eat the grilled chicken. It's like no, you can't fun do that. That. Like, that's First thing not is about fun. connection and enjoying and sharing yes. experience. So, like to me, that's it. Kind Absolutely. of defeats the purpose. Most yeah. people who are making the plants want to actually accommodate and be pleasing to the other person. We so think that if we have something to say. Or not just grateful to be there that we are somehow unlovable. So I actually think it's actually a a relatively easy fix. First and foremost, get clear with your body. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm speaking up for my needs. That's not neediness. There's a huge difference. I'm not tasking someone else with making sure that every emotional need of mine is being met. It's saying, I can't eat gluten. I know you really want to eat gluten, but I would so love it if we went to this Greek restaurant that I just read about. How would you feel about that?
0: most people would be like, oh, great. It's actually so simple and people are so afraid. And so it boils down to how a person is relating to themselves. Yes. And you said something about abandoning oneself in order to get someone to approve of them or to like them or to love them. And I always talk about never strategize to get someone to be interested in you. And I think that part of that strategy would be, for some people, not being forthcoming about the things that they struggle with. And it breaks my heart because we're all, like you said, 145 million people are struggling with something chronic, whatever it is. I mean, we we all have baggage. So you might not have an STD or you might not have an autoimmune condition, but you might have a mother who is potentially going to be a nightmare mother-in-law Yeah, or a nightmare grandmother. And so is that a reason why someone shouldn't be with you? I mean, everyone has a choice to say, this isn't for Mm -hmm. me, but we have to be really honest with ourselves. So how do you Help people become more comfortable with whatever it is that they're dealing with physically? It's a great question. I think
1: it's multifaceted. I think, first and foremost, I, which I've been saying a lot, I really encourage people to rename their illness because, like you, I really don't like the word. And, like you, I really believe that a lot of these names of illnesses are very loaded, right? people walk around and say, I am a diabetic. No, you're not. You're a human being, right? Who might struggle with diabetes, but you're a human or I am celiac. It's again, no, you're not. And all of these words and all of these phrases carry so much weight and those words carry emotional weight too. I'm diabetic. Oh my God, that means that we can never go to a pizza shop or bagels or this, that, and all these preconceived ideas of what that means. What I encourage people to do is to rename it. I love the word squiggle. I just think it's a funny word. So if someone mm-hmm. is, let's say, struggling with IBS, you're done calling it IBS for right now. We're calling it, my squiggle's acting Which is up. irritable, yes. irritable yes. bowel Sorry. syndrome for people who Sometimes don't Sometimes I forget that people her. don't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even yeah. calling it an it. When we're able to actually create a linguistic separation between what we've struggled with and identified in a certain way We then give our brain a rest from saying, this is really dangerous and this is really threatening. Because squiggle doesn't mean anything to you. Squiggle's literally nothing. It's a made up word. Multiple sclerosis is not. Multiple sclerosis Mm -hmm. reminds you, re-traumatizes you of the 10 years it took you to get diagnosed and X, Y, and Z and the thing that you read in the magazine and what happens about this celebrity? She can't walk. And it's completely loaded. There's a story behind it. So I really like when people say, okay, let's rename it. I want a new relationship with what I have been dealing with. It's also really important to recognize, for better or for worse, what the experience of even getting diagnosed with a chronic illness has done. What that usually does, a lot of chronic illnesses take months, if not years, to get properly diagnosed for a variety of reasons, I think all of which are pretty inexcusable. That's a separate podcast episode. And... What then happens is, hey, I know I feel really lousy. There's something not right. I don't feel right. And you go to doctor after doctor. Your bloods are perfect. You're great. I don't know. Maybe you're just stressed, you know, especially to women, like what's going on at home? Or like maybe you're a little hysterical. And it's such an antiquated trope. And then what happens is it's gaslighting. It's saying, oh, maybe the experience that I'm feeling in my body isn't actually true, which then perpetuates a lack of self-trust. So really getting to know your own experience with your own squiggle is deeply, deeply, deeply important. I would actually posit that until you're actually really able to own your story of what you've been through, the gifts that you've actually received from that, because it's not all negative, it really is not, and really communicate that in a way with pride and like, this is what I am, take it or leave it the way that you advise your clients. It's difficult not to put your self-worth in someone else's hand.
0: Yes, that's so well said. And, you know, I would just say, like, we, we've been focusing on chronic illness, but I would just talk about anything that we perceive puts us on an unfair, that puts us, like, in a disadvantage. Like, so this is anyone who struggles with drugs and alcohol and is sober, right? And is sober, but they're an addict. Maybe they're in several 12-step programs, whatnot, or maybe it's a recovered codependent or someone who, which I want to get to just in a second, someone who has a sexually transmitted disease, such as herpes, which doesn't kill you. Like obviously there's it's much more intense if you have a disease that you could spread and cause serious illness on someone else to the point where they might be struggling, meaning it's threatening, right? So that's a whole different. Ballgame. I, I just really think that we all come to the table with something that we are ashamed of. Whether it's how you grew up, whether it's your chronic illness, whether it's an STD, whether it's even abusive ex. It, yeah. Whether it's your abusive ex. Exactly. We all come to the table with something that we carry shame about and yet so so many of us can lie about it and I think a lot of people do lie about it and it makes me so sad because I guess what I what really what I think listeners really need to hear is and I'll chime in too but I want to hear what you would say is how would you tell someone to share with the potential partners a date that they have, like bipolar, for example. And then the flip side is, or the other side of it is just that there are some people who aren't going to want to date you because perhaps you have something that can spread to them or You know, maybe you're a bipolar disorder. Maybe they've been there, done that. You know, maybe they were with someone with bipolar and it didn't go well for them. You know, maybe they have a bad past experience. Maybe they're just immature. I mean, who knows? Because we all have a right to decide what is good for us and what's not good for us. So how would you actually advise someone how to communicate this on a potential date? And would you say right off the bat, like first date? I would say yes, but I'm curious as to what you would say. I don't know that for me it's
1: a binary question. I don't know if it's yes or no. I think it's really situation dependent. And the reason that I say Mm -hmm. that is because I think especially when you're talking about shame, I think so many defense mechanisms are up that person might not even be aware of. And if this person thinks, and I'm using your example, that my bipolar is so... Impenetrable to love. I'm makes me so unworthy of love that they're so used to someone just rejecting them because of that.
0: I, want, including themselves, because a lot of them reject themselves because of it. Of course, it. they walk yeah. around the world thinking that. Yeah,
1: I think it's important to be aware within yourself. Am I sharing this because it's valuable, and I'm looking to build connection and vulnerability, or am I putting this out there? as a defense mechanism. Hey, you know, I have bipolar. If you're not cool with that, like it's not going to work. And yeah, it's a fine line. It really is. And so I think mm-hmm. it takes a lot of self-awareness, which unfortunately we can't learn a book. And unfortunately it's not very pleasant to get, but it takes a lot of self-awareness to figure out where you are in that spectrum. I also think it's important that you don't owe anyone any information about yourself. You need to decide with whom and where you feel safe to be vulnerable and disclose things. And maybe that is a first date.
0: I absolutely, completely, 100% agree with that. And I certainly don't encourage people to just share everything right off the bat. I do think, though, if things are progressing and you're getting to know someone and it's moving in the direction of like potential partnership, that does need to be disclosed. And pretty early on, certainly, and we can transition now a little bit to STDs, which obviously I believe has to be disclosed before you become sexually active with someone because that's it's wrong to not tell someone right off the bat. Because I think people need to, everyone has a right to decide what is best for them and their bodies. But can we just talk a little bit about the stigma? that's attached to some of these STDs and to give the millions of people out there who have an STD that is, you know, something like herpes, which is chronic, which doesn't go away, which does not harm your health. Does not kill you. But it's there. It does not kill you. It will never kill you. Correct. Let's throw these people some love with this what are your thoughts on that and what are your thoughts on that particularly when it comes to relationship
1: i can answer this while also tying in the answer from before when you had asked for some examples about how to actually communicate that which i think is important thing to make sure that i don't i don't skip over first of all let's start with some education herpes simplex virus one and two genital and oral which now are interchanged because there's a lot of course of oral sex and people participating more and more in casual sex what people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize is if you get an STD panel, they're not testing for herpes. The reason that they're not testing for herpes is it's so widespread that someone in the CDC decided this actually would cause more hysteria than anything since it's not actually going to kill anyone or cause infertility. Wow. Is that true? Yeah, it's not. Wow. It's not part. So you actually have to specifically ask your doctor, can you run a herpes panel? Now, I'm sure a lot of your <laughs> listeners are going to be like, oh my God, what do you mean? I might have herpes? <laughs> <laughs> I've had many conversations with people who've had that reaction.
0: Apparently, there are a lot of people who never develop the symptom. Yes. And there are a lot of asymptomatic people walking around who have no idea that they even Correct. have it. An enormous amount, which is why they never get tested.
1: There's also, when we talk about if you are diagnosed with herpes, very often a doctor will put you on vancomycin, which is Valtrex, which is a medic, an antiviral, very strong and potent antiviral, and recommend to you that when you are intimate with someone that you are using protection, like a condom. The transmission rate when you're on Valtrex and wearing a condom is very low. To the people who have it right now, number one, you are not alone. Number two, your life is not even, not remotely over. I had a friend a few years ago who had a scare with it and she was like, well, I guess I need to stay with the guy that I'm dating since no one else is ever going to date me again. And it was one of the most heartbreaking things I'd ever heard.
0: Jillian, I get those messages all the time. Like people say, I was just diagnosed with herpes and now I feel like my sex life is over. No one's ever going to love me. And my heart breaks for them too. Me too. First of all, can we just say that's not true? It's
1: 100% not true. I am 1 million percent confident that every single person listening knows married couples who both have herpes or one has herpes and they willingly went into a loving relationship and maybe the other person never even got it. So everyone knows people in relationships with one of them having herpes and one of them not. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's just a fact statistically. And I also know an enormous amount of people personally where that's true. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the shame thing. And it goes back to this illusion of perfection and not wanting to be vulnerable. It is a scary reveal because it feels like you're risking rejection. And guess what? Some people will reject you.
0: Yes, but they also might reject you for a number of other reasons. Yeah, you might not want a kid. Yeah, you may not want a kid or they might just not be attracted to you. Or you have brown eyes and they (laughs) want kids with blue eyes. Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or And I love what you said before.
1: I always say, both in my personal life and professional life, I can be responsible for what I say. I cannot be responsible for what someone hears. And what that means Mm -hmm. is I know what I'm saying and communicating, but what someone hears is informed by their personal experience and their story and their wounds and their belief system. And so to your point, if someone had a bad experience dating someone with herpes, that they don't want to go down that road again, that has nothing to do with you. That's actually on them. Absolutely. It is scary. I am very insistent that people don't say we need to talk when you're like, I need to reveal something.
0: Oh, never, never start a conversation with someone who you're dating or in a relationship with. There's two conversation starters that people should completely remove from their repertoire, which is, we need to talk. And the second one being, my therapist said.
1: (laughs) Or my mother said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or my mother said. Exactly. Okay. Well, I
1: think it's... In the context of this, I think it's important to talk about a little bit about the nervous system and the nervous system being regulated, because in order to be regulated, which I'll talk about in a second, we need three things. We need context. So we need to talk. Literally, there's no context. What do we need to talk about? I'm freaking out. What does she mean we need to talk? What does he mean we need to talk? Like, when is this talk going to happen? What is it? What's going to happen? Is my whole like world going to be torn apart?
0: Yeah, that's the anxiety is real. With that, We need choice.
1: I need to know that I'm not pushing to a corner. So if someone is communicating something, it's not, sorry, you need to be in this relationship now. It's, I need to know that I actually have choice to think about what works for me. I need to have autonomy. And we also need connection. And what feels good to connect with another living being, whether it's a person, whether it's a pet. So context,
0: choice, and connection. And connection.
1: So it's get, I love when that. you get a text from someone, hey, I need to cancel our date. There's no context there. So your mind is, oh, my God, he hates me or she hates me. I'm never going to see him again. If it says, hey, I just got a call from my kid's school. This is what's going on. I am going to tell you. I'll circle back in two hours to let you know what's going on. I'd really love to hear about your day later. Right? It's offering a bid for connection. It's giving context. And it's giving choice about, okay, that's actually not so scary now.
0: I love that. I'm going to steal. I mean, I'm going to credit you, but I'm going to go steal for it, it and credit you at the same time. And you have? Did you come up with that? Uh, <laughs> and it's you so have good. You it-
1: think about those things when you're having any kind of personal conversation with another human being, with
0: anyone, with anyone. Absolutely, absolutely. That is so wow, because first of all, leaving out context is also a way that people manipulate others hugely. It's like I'm. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what this is. I I actually want to make you afraid because I have felt very vulnerable. And so this is my way of getting the power back. Not giving people choice. I mean, that is done all the time. It's what I speak to all the time. It's that, you know, it does not matter what your attachment wounding is. It doesn't matter who abandoned you. It doesn't matter how anxious you are. You have to always leave room for choice. We have to respect each other's autonomy. And yeah, the bid for connection is huge as opposed to, I mean, as soon as you say we need to talk, you are removing all three of those things. We need to talk literally removes context. It removes choice and it removes connection.
1: And it's a power imbalance. It's not you're not actually in a relationship. You're in dysregulation.
0: You're in dysregulation. And so
1: Right. And so dysregulation means that your body, for whatever reason, or we know the reason, but your body doesn't feel safe. And guess what happens when our body doesn't feel safe? We literally will do anything to regain our safety. So that means running after the person who's treating you like shit just because you want to maintain the connection. Even if it's not what you want, you're so responsive to someone else's dysregulation that you then become dysregulated. And it's the same when you're having a conversation, whether it's about chronic illness or talking about an STD, you need to be mindful of those for the other person and also for yourself hey, there's something that I've actually really wanted to talk to you about when you're maybe when you're sitting down at dinner. Own it, own your vulnerability. Yeah. That sometimes doesn't make me feel very good. I really like you. I really care about you. I'm really excited to take the relationship to the next level. I was diagnosed with herpes three years ago or say that I personally have not been, but I'm saying it as if someone who has would say it. And, you know, this is what that means because a lot of people don't actually have the proper education. A lot of people don't understand that you can be in a healthy relationship with another individual who has herpes and never get herpes yourself and giving someone the choice hey i don't need an answer right now they're allowed to think about it right you've known all this information for weeks months years they're learning about it for the first time so giving someone that choice and then also offering connection i'm here when you want to talk when you're ready to talk about it
0: it oh my god it's so huge it's and so many people don't do this, but. I can't help but think that this boils down to a self-esteem and self-love thing, because what's the antithesis of self-esteem is really shame. Absolutely. And I think the owning your story is so important. And I think just for people listening to a podcast like this episode today, is so important because it's just removing, just you saying 145 million people deal with some sort of chronic something. So it's just, it's-,
1: it's everyone, um, let's just call it everyone. It's something, everyone has it's, something. It's just called it
0: everyone. Everyone has something. And again, I want to reiterate, even if it's not chronic illness, everyone has baggage. Now, everyone also has to be given the agency to decide, you know what? That baggage that you have, you're just as worthy as anyone else, but it doesn't work for me.
1: Absolutely, and that other person. And that's needs to okay. Be, it's totally okay.
0: And you have to be okay with that. Yes.
1: And the other person. I think it's important to speak uh, on the receiving end of that person. If someone says, if someone hears, someone they really, really like is saying to them, "I have herpes." That person is also they owe it to themselves and to the relationship not to abandon themselves, because if it's something that they're not truly okay with. Willing themselves to be in relation with someone who is dealing with this and then making them feel shame as a result is just as destructive. It's okay to take yourself out and say, that doesn't work for me.
0: Maybe (laughs) really what we're talking about is learning how to be okay with the stuff that we're dealing with and to own it, really. We don't have to be 100% okay with it, but we have to accept it and, and own it. And we need to communicate about it. We don't have to share it right away. I always tell people, like, stop talking about all the serious stuff on the first date. Just see if there's some freaking rapport. Yeah. I mean, see if there's some rapport. And then if things start to progress before it becomes, you know, intimate physically, you have these conversations. And again, it's just like, I want kids, you don't want kids. That's as much of a deal breaker. I want to live in the mountains. Yeah, I hate the mountains. These are deal breakers. And they're just as big of a deal breaker as someone who like wants to eat pasta every night and the other person. And I always tell people like, use the shower. I always
1: don't rehearse in the shower, but speak out loud, speak your truth in the shower. That throat chakra <laughs> right on your right on your thyroid needs to be exercised. And if you don't feel safe yet doing that to another person because there's too much risk, start speaking your truth out loud to yourself in the shower.
0: It gets easier mm. when you practice. What would you, what advice would you give for those who are meeting someone who is dealing with something chronic? How would you say that they then communicate to them? what are some of the things that people need to remember? Obviously, don't judge. Don't be mean about it. But what if it's not okay with them? I think they have to be just as honest as the person who has something. At the end of the day, people just have to be really direct and honest about what works for them and what doesn't work for them.
1: I agree. And it's not easy. It is not easy. It takes a lot of maturity. And a lot of courage. It takes an enormous amount of awareness. It takes a lot of courage. Yeah. I think if you're on the receiving end of things, one of the most healing things and one of the most beautiful gifts that you can give that person is validation. Wow, that Mm -hmm. must be really, really hard. Yeah. Like the amount of people who I have heard from who say when someone says that to them, they just cry because they're so Mm -hmm. grateful for being seen. Yeah. Wow, that must be really hard. In the moment when you're hearing something vulnerable, it's not about you. Allow Mm -hmm. yourself to step aside for a second and validate the experience that someone is sharing with you, first and foremost. If you really care about this person, I think you can ask questions. I'd actually like to learn more about that. What does that mean? What does it look like to you? What does your treatment team look like? What are you doing to take care of yourself? There's a huge difference. Between someone who has bipolar, who blows off taking their medicine and going to the psychiatrist and is not really responsible with their mental health in the presence of having this illness. And someone who has bipolar, who is supremely responsible, makes self-care a priority, never misses a doctor's appointment or a medication. That's a, there's a huge difference. And so learning both about what the ailment is that they're disclosing and also someone's relationship to what they're dealing with is what's going to tell you if this is something that works for you or not. I don't know that I'd want to be with someone, whether it was bipolar or other, who wasn't taking care of themselves. Oh, absolutely not. Like I have no interest in that for a lot of reasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. I think you're so spot on. It is I mean, we could just do an entire episode on this. The difference between the awareness of what it is that you're dealing with illness or whatever it is, or whatever, or your awareness and breakup, whatever it is, your awareness and your commitment to working on and tending to and prioritizing your mental, emotional, and psychological well being. Versus someone who takes no responsibility for it, isn't dealing with it, and then you're in a relationship with them, and it's a nightmare because you're then trying to fix it and help them, and they're not wanting to help themselves. These are two completely different ballgames. Completely different. These are c- two completely different relationships. So I think then at the end of the day, it has to do with a person's relationship with their bodies their responsibility with it and then lastly learning how to quote unquote normalize whatever it is that they're dealing with i hate people on an unconscious level i hate that people suffer <laughs> i hate it but it's part of life but unnecessarily and i there was something that you said a bit earlier that i want to bring it to the forefront again because it's so important as we slowly wrap up, I really want people to remember this, which is that this concept of putting I am, and this is an old ancient yogic concept, I am before you say something, right? I am. You're immediately saying this is my identity. I am bipolar. I am celiac. I am whatever it is. No, you're not. You are a complex, multifaceted person who happens to have struggles just like everyone else, and this is one of them. Do you then help people change their relationship to their illness so that they no longer, I know you talked about squiddle and and it, But I think that such a big part of it is if you can go into, I'm bringing this into relationship because this is what this podcast is about, but if you can be in a relationship, whether it's in the dating phase or well beyond that, and you don't actually identify as the illness, that also changes how you participate in the relationship, I'm, I'm trying to say something. It's a kind of a, a complex concept, which is that people in relationship will let's just take diabetes. I am diabetic or whatever, I have attention deficit disorder. If you over identify with that, then it does not serve the individual. Who is struggling with whatever it is that they're struggling on a chronic level to identify with it so much? Owning your story is not the same thing as making you be just this thing that you have. Correct. And so if you're in a relationship and you are, you're like, I am this, I am that, and you're over identifying with this chronic illness you run the risk of blocking connection between you and your loved one because you don't even see yourself as multifaceted. And so therefore, it's going to be difficult for the person you're in a relationship with to see the other parts too. This is kind of a complex subject, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that at the end of the day, how we relate to ourselves, our bodies, our psychology, Everything that we're dealing with really is the needle mover when it comes to the quality of our lives and hence the quality of our relationships. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to. I love speak all of that, and I that. think you're
1: absolutely right. You nailed it. Because when we are only our illness, we are in a state of victimhood. When we are in a state of victimhood, by default, victims are in danger. When we have that association with the world that everything is a threat. Whether it's the restaurant that someone's going to choose or the airline I fly on our trip or whatever it is, they're going to be firing on adrenaline and cortisol. Those are catabolic, they break the body down, which then leads to more symptoms and more illness. It also leads to disconnection because everything that is going to be filtered through that lens is going to be a dichotomous to joy love, connection, fun, hope, which is what we need for relation. When we are in that state of victimhood, it's inherently a self-centered place to be because we are constantly on the lookout for perceived threats. You are absolutely right. When we change the relationship we have to both our symptoms and an illness, our relationships improve because we are no longer in a state of dysregulation. And that's what I work with when I work with people. I always say, yes, let's figure out the actual symptoms. And we need to figure out your nervous system. We need to give you a sense of safety in your own body because guess what? If you don't have that in your own body, you're going to be looking for it from other people. And that's when you really become really vulnerable to being very much destroyed by a relationship. That's when you attract the narcissist, that's when you attract people who are really unwell and will emotionally abuse you. So, yes.
0: It's also when you can be in a relationship with a really wonderful person and you run the risk of sabotaging that relationship. Definitely. Because, like you said, there's no connection. You're constantly dysregulated. You're constantly feeling terrible about yourself. It's just not good for any relationship, not only for attracting the quote-unquote narcissist.
1: And when you over-identify with certain diseases, you take on... Some of the things that come with those diseases, if you're dealing with ADHD, you don't work on remembering to call your friends back. You just say, oh yeah, I have ADD. Where's the self-improvement there? We're all dealing with something, taking ownership of what's going on. And I think also when we're dealing with illness, sometimes what happens, unfortunately, is there's a rigidity that comes into it. I used to say, because I had dealt with a lot of chronic illness myself, thankfully I'm not there anymore, but I used to say that unless... I was eating blueberries picked from like blind nuns and like the wind was blowing due west. Like I didn't <laughs> feel well, Like right? It had to be like pristine, like perfect conditions. That wasn't living. Talk about a joy yeah I mean, yeah, literally, exactly. right? So if someone wanted to like be out at a concert, which is completely reasonable past like 9.30, it was like, I can't do that, right? So that's also me mm-hmm. developing trust within myself, releasing the victimhood, building my own resilience And visiting the balance scale of like joy and connection are really healing too. It's not just about going to sleep on time. Yeah,
0: amen, amen. And I'll just add for the person who's in a relationship right now with someone who is really rigid because they are in a state of fight or flight, Jillian Tuckman says, nervous system dysregulation, deregulation. And because they're so afraid, maybe they've developed a lot of fears and because, you know, like they need to eat the, <laughs> the only, blueberry that was yeah. picked by a nun too. <laughs> That's really funny. That can be really challenging for the person that they're in a yes. relationship with. It can be very, very, very painful for them and they don't know what to do. I want to give some advice to that person. And this is what I would say. And this is what I say just overall when it comes to being in a relationship. When you love someone, when you care about someone, you want them to win and you don't want them to suffer. So instead of judging that person, instead of making them feel like they're a burden, you can't say, I love you so much. I don't want you to suffer. This is also getting in the way of our relationship and our bond. I'm finding it difficult to connect with you. I'm finding it difficult to have the joy that we used to have together. I know that it must feel like you're in a prison right now and I want to do everything I can to help you get out of that prison. But I do need something to change because we deserve that. That's what I would say. And I'm curious if there's anything you want to add to that. Because I think we have to give a shout out to the people who are in relationship with people with chronic illness that might be really struggling. Absolutely.
1: And I think sometimes it's very easy culturally to villainize them, right? And they shouldn't they can be wonderfully attentive and caring and patient and want to have fun with their partner. Yeah. That's allowed. So destigmatizing needs from the partner who's accommodating the one who's struggling right now. And this happens across our lifetime, right? You see the breakdown of marriages when a kid is diagnosed with autism, right? You see the breakdown of marriages, God forbid, when a child is lost. People are dealing and deal with grief in different ways that they actually abandon and forget about the relationship. And to say, hey, like, I really love you. I know how much you're struggling and you're a freaking champ the way that you take on the world and I know how much you're tripping. Can we think of something fun that is also like within your window of tolerance, right? Maybe the person mm-hmm. isn't in a place where they can run Saturday morning for five miles a day, but maybe they can mm-hmm. take a walk for a mile and get coffee, right? What's in someone's window of tolerance? What is in what I like to call their training zone? What's doable? Figure out finding joy in the doable range.
0: All right. I feel like we're going to have to do a part two. Great. Where we just help also the person who is dealing with chronic illness to have more joy. Yes. Because, you know, what we're ultimately talking about is stress. Oh, yeah. Whether it's over a chronic illness, whatever it's around. And I say, you know, what sabotages a relationship? Stress. It's how we relate to stress.
1: Sometimes it's also our expectation that our partner is going to be the one to save us from our stress.
0: No, well, you just said a (laughs) mouthful. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much here, but I think that this is a really good start. And I think it's going to help so so many people. And um, tell me, Jillian. (laughs) Where can people find you? Um, I am on
1: Instagram, my full name Jillian Tuckman. You can definitely find me there. I do still see some people one-on-one. I'm actually launching a mini course about dating with chronic illness because it's something that seems to be something that people really want advice on and really want to demystify all that shame. And then in the new year, I'm actually launching a bigger course called From Shit to Shining which is going to be all about nervous system regulation in addition to like really improving some gut health, which usually goes along with nervous system dysregulation.
0: I love that. And for anyone and everyone who's listening and this is resonating with you and you're dealing with chronic illness or you have a partner who's dealing with chronic illness or anything similar to what we discussed today, Please check out Jillian. She is a very gifted practitioner. She has dealt with her own struggles with this and has come out on the other end of it. And you can already tell how eloquently she speaks about all of this. So do check her out. And Jillian, thank you so much for being here. I think we're going to help a lot of people today. So thank I, you so
1: much for having me. I had I'm fun. really grateful. Me too.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jillian Tuckman. And if you or anyone you know can benefit from listening to this, and I'm sure there is someone you must know who could benefit because so many of us are suffering with something, with some sort of chronic illness or STD, and and scared that we're not lovable because of it, you know? We all come to the table, like I said, with stuff. And we all come with the fear that we're not going to be enough for someone or lovable. So you just never know whose life you could be changing by sharing this episode. And of course, as always, if you have any questions or any requests, you could always reach out to hello at jillianonlove.com. Thanks again for listening. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshaus, Edited in music by Will Tendy.
1: Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them,